This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, welcome to the Talk of Fame Network, and I understand we've got some big news this week. And no, it's not coming out of the league meetings in Phoenix. It's actually out of the hockey rinks in suburban Boston. And that's not an April Fool's joke. Uh-uh. And, Ronnie, you know it's not. You want to tell us about it? My Neshoba Grizzlies Pee-wee AAA team uh, won its semifinal battle last Saturday, 3-2. to two. We're in the uh, finals against a tough team from Maine next Saturday. If we win, it's like winning the AFC. We are the conference champions. Then we play Sunday for the overall uh, Valley League title. My kids, uh, they're pretty psyched, as you would imagine, Clark. Uh, and by the way, just for the record, the referee stole a goal from us, or it would have been a four to two win. A little quick whistle there by uh, Bill Chadwick, but uh, uh, to their credit, never admitted at least one of them did admitted it. And I was as calm as a cucumber, as you know. Yeah, well, maybe I know. Not, that's, maybe that's, not that. That's who you are. You should put Ted Wells on that case. He'll get right to the bottom of that ride. <laughs> he hey, um, he question for you: What happens if you win Saturday and Sunday? You play the Bruins next? <laughs> Well, let me tell you, the way the the Bees blew a two-goal lead uh, against Tampa in the final period Monday night, we may be all they can handle. Ugly, <laughs> ugly, ugly. Hey, Ronnie, quick question for you. Um, yeah. Goose is a former hockey player. You know that. I know that. Yes. Um, have you reached out to him for any help this week for, like, pointers? Uh, and if you haven't, why not? <laughs> Goose has taken a handoff approach to this. He's very encouraging. He calls me Toe Borges. But other than that... Uh, he did actually early in the season. He gave me a couple of suggestions on uh, uh, a couple of things to look at, which was pretty good. But uh, lately, he's just been in the stands cheering like you, Clark. Yeah, it's, I'm cheering all the way. Well, anyway, we good go. luck, Ronnie, in both Thank games, you. and good luck to those Grizzlies uh, here at the Talk of Fame Network. We're lucky to have Hall of Famer Tom Mack of the LA Rams this week's guest, along with Karen Gregian of the Boston Herald, longtime friend of ours and a bronze and Hall of Fame voter and member. Vito Stellino, who's been covering the NFL longer than any of us. We're going to be talking to Karen about Rob Gronkowski's retirement. And, Ron, we may have to pack goose and ice because people already are calling him the greatest tight end ever. Oh, right. absolutely. Seven places in 2011. Yeah. 12 guys more catches, but he's the best. No question about it. Yeah, well, and it, Crazy. we're going to hear more on that later. But right now, Ron, guess what? We're going to go to commercial, and it's not about the Grizzlies. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, the NFL has finally made it official, and it's going to put the 2019 season opener not in Foxborough, which of course is home of the Super Bowl champion New England Patriots, but in Chicago's Soldier Field. Why? Well, it's in recognition of the league's 100th anniversary, and it's going to feature one of the league's oldest rivalries. That would be the Bears versus the Packers on Thursday, September 5. Now, I know I've asked both of you guys about this several weeks ago, so I guess I'm going to ask it again. Now that it's official, you good with that? And should New England be good with it? Well, yeah. I mean, why should New England's feelings be considered? You know, this is about the league and the history of the game, and the truth of the matter is, for most of the history of the game, the Patriots were non-existent. Uh, you know, they've had a nice dynastic run here, obviously, in the last, uh, uh, since the turn of the century. But if you're talking about the 100th anniversary of the league, why would the Patriots be part of it? For 80 of those years, they were, they were like a Tory town meeting in 70, 1775. <laughs> no Patriots allowed. 
okay with it. Yeah, if, if once every 100 years the NFL wants to take the Thursday night opener away from the defending Super Bowl champion to pay homage to the history of the game, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I guess the next 100 they'll probably be taken away from the Patriots again because Brady will still be playing. Um, hey, Goose, if I gave you the chance to open one game, one game this fall, what would it be? Would it be this one, Bears-Packers? Browns at Patriots for an early preview of the AFC Championship game. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. Oh, but you, Ron. Uh, Chiefs-Patriots rematch is the second game after Bears-Packers. Old school and new school in the same night. So I guess both of you are telling me the Patriots shouldn't be good with it. Oh, anyway. <laughs> well, there's a signal that we're going to be good with what's next. And that's a signal that in honor of the start of Major League Baseball everywhere this week, everywhere in this country, we're going to do something different and start the show with our opener. I mean, if it could work for the Tampa Bay Rays, right? It should work out here. I hope so. Anyway, I guess we're about to find out with this week's opener. And it's none other than our own Red Sox honk. That's right, Ron Borges with his Borges of Bogus. Ronnie, hey guys, take it away. Uh, Sean Payton says, uh, uh, says his weeks-long campaign to expand replay to include non-calls and an eye-in-the-sky official to alert on-field referees of a missed blown call has nothing to do with a non-call and obvious pass interference that probably cost his team a trip to the Super Bowl. That claim is as bogus as most of his proposal. But there was one thing not bogus about his full-court press this, at this week's owners' meetings to expand replay, and that was his warning that the decision to become partners with gambling will increase pressure on officials and expand the technological invasion of sport. If fans are frustrated by the potential for a slower pace of play, Peyton said, quote, times that by a million when they bet 4,000 on their phone and hit click with season, and they hit click for a score here, and the last drive, click, they hit all those, and then the last drive and a call like that takes place, and blur there's nothing in the account i'm not, <laughs> i'm not even talking Wait, about on. click click i've got it into my account exactly i'm not even talking about the avid gambler you said that's not who they're going for all of a sudden our children are going to have 20 bucks on the game <laughs> the hell is he talking about <laughs> what he's talking about is the infestation of gambling that the man who once saved the nfl former commissioner Bert bell feared most he was vigilant about keeping his eyes on changing odds and shady bookmakers and the threat of gambling because of what it posed to pro football now his league is in league with gamblers, and that's bogus. But Peyton's warning of what this will lead to isn't. He went so far as to show up 15 minutes early for the annual Tuesday breakfast session with the media, imagine that, to continue his campaign to expand media into non-calls. Keep this up, and football games will run, run longer than cricket matches. NFL head coaches voted 32 nothing to support the call for the expanding the replay, and Peyton told NFL Network that if they don't do it, their ownership is saying they're comfortable with what happened a year ago. Well, what happened? Okay, Saints got screwed by the NFL cops. Colin Kaepernick tried to keep telling them about the cops, but they didn't listen. Unemployment by way of genuflection for him, so Payton better walk out. But I digress. Sean Payton also called for full-time officials claiming that our best as, at playing and coaching are spending 20 hours, 18 hours a day. Our best at officiating, it's their second job. It's too hard, blah, blah, blah. Then he said, there's too much at stake for someone who's a teacher at school or who's a florist. That's backward thinking. Well, perhaps so, but it's bogus thinking to believe most coaches are working 20-hour days. Follow them around for a week, and you'll find a lot of food breaks, workouts, and gossiping on the phone about where their next job is coming. If it actually takes them 20 hours a day to get ready for a football game, then they're idiots, frankly. Peyton went on to suggest the eye in the sky have a buzzer, and quote, when he feels a certain level of a mistake has been made, he hits the buzzer and the review happens. Well, here's the problem with that. What if you don't agree with his level of thinking on the mistake? We're right back where we started from. Coaches want perfection, 
but most of them can't even manage the clock for two minutes at the end of a game. And less than half of them can, can draft the best player when they're making the first pick in the draft. So how about a buzzer for those guys? Select Jamarcus Russell. <clears throat> Brian Bosworth. <clears throat> Hit the buzzer. How many times are we going to do that, Sean? Eye in the sky is fine. Trying to correct mistakes is fine. But there's no perfect systems. And the more replays you add, the longer the game is, and the more it looks like Yankees-Red Sox four-and-a-half-hour snooze fest. Eye in the sky, fine. Review non-calls, bogus. So, Ron, where are you at on uh, the eye in the sky? I'm all right with the idea of the eye in the sky. But to make a call when no call was made is, is it's, it's sort of like looming big brothers, like 1984. You know, whether they blew the call, they didn't make the call. They didn't, you know, there was no foul. Life moves on. So that, that's my concern. Because you know what it's going to lead to, which is an argument over why didn't the guy uh, hit the buzzer on this one? Why did he hit the buzzer on that one? You know, it, it's just going to make more problems, I think, than it. I mean, that was a once-in-a-generation situation, what happened in the, in the Saints game. Hey, it was too bad. What if, what, if you limit it, what if you limit it to one or two challenges with the eye in the sky? Well, uh, you you could probably do that, but but then what happens if you use your challenge and then just an incredibly egregious thing happens? People will be screaming challenge. that it should be two challenges. <laughs> you know, you can't win. They're looking for perfection in in human beings and hoping some machine can fix it when they have a massive clock in front of them and they can't manage two minutes at the end of a game. <laughs> a lot of these guys. <laughs> clock and two minute drill and. <laughs> know what I'm doing? And eh. Hey, Ron, a question. When you talk about technological advancements, um, I guess my question to you is, how do you stop this from happening with, like as you mentioned, legalized gambling now? I mean, the NFL is embracing that. Right. Um, and so people could demand that you get the calls right, you know, when in fact, human error used to be part of the game. But now, with the legalized gambling, they're going to say, hey, wait a minute, you cost me, you know, a couple thousand dollars or whatever. I don't know what right. it is. But, but uh, how do you keep that? Uh, how do you keep that from happening? Well, to me, there's an there's a easy way to do that. Don't bet. Yeah, no, <laughs> you, know, right. you don't want to take right, a chance. Right. Don't bet. You know, if, if you bet on a basketball game and uh, uh, Kyrie Irving misses three foul shots at the end of the game, you don't get to drag him behind your pickup truck all the way back to your house. You know what I mean? It's, mistakes are going to get made. That's part of it. And I have always said, and I don't, you guys may disagree, but I've always felt that players and coaches make a lot more mistakes than the officials. So just yeah, no, I agree. I agree, tend to your own knitting and you won't have to be worrying about a call at the end of the game. But you remember when um, those daily fantasy football leagues were starting years ago? I mean, a couple of years ago, oh, yeah. Kings and that sort. Of, and and who was jumping in to embrace them? Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft. Oh yeah, the so partners. You can say you can say don't bet, but they're basically saying no, do bet because I can make the money off of you. Bet, well, they bet, are. Well, they are. And and what's going to happen? In short order, there's going to be a play overturned uh, or not overturned, and the implication is going to be some buzzer guy. I mean, he'd become the most powerful guy in the game. If you could get to that guy, you know, lay the points. And he's laying on the buzzer, you know. I mean, it's just they're looking, they're really going down a slippery slope, I think. Um, And sometimes you just got to accept, as I had to do last Saturday when they took a goal from my Grizzlies, and then then the official came over to me and said, uh, uh, Coach, he, it was, he blew it. He blew the whistle. I said, well, that doesn't really help me, but thanks for telling me. And then the game went on. That's, you know, that's the way it ought to be. I mean, just, would you have hit the buzzer, Ron? I would have. I almost hit him. But, yeah, no, I would have liked to hit the buzzer on that one. Hey, Ron, are you in favor of full-time officials? You know, I, I go back. Not really, unless they're going to officiate all year long. 
you know, you want to put them in the in the alliance, and you want them so they're working all the time. Maybe, but how are you going to? First off, how are you going to pay a guy who's a successful uh, lawyer or businessman uh, enough money to, if he's especially if he's a good official, to give that up to do this? Uh, you know, they're not going to want to do it, and and they're going to end up losing more good officials than than they get. And what are they going to do in the off season? Watch video every day. You know, I mean, Thanks, Ron. appreciate it, appreciate it, because I know what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to cut to commercial. <laughs> we expect, <laughs> expect you back, however, for the next segment with another rage. <laughs> you listen to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios. Here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, since last weekend, there's been a lot, and I mean a lot, of talk about former, that's former New England tight end Rob Gronkowski, who announced his retirement after nine seasons. So we figured, hey, might as well get an expert's opinion on the subject, right? Well, that expert is none other than our next guest, Boston Herald football columnist, Longtime Patriots reporter and longtime friend of ours, Karen Gregian. Now, Karen has covered more Super Bowl teams than nearly anyone in journalism history. She's been there for two of the biggest finds in NFL history and actually owns up to liking our colleague, Mr. Ron Borges. Amazing. I'm not sure which of those is hardest, Karen, but thanks so much for joining us again. I know. I, I mean, wow, what a list on my resume, you know? <laughs> like, like, it, like in gorgeous. I don't, I, I don't know what column that puts me in there, but I don't know. I do own up to it, though. I do. That's, a, that's Ripley's much. Believe It or Not column. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You're a stronger person than I. Well, Karen, you know, uh, Gronkowski uh, 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 is a big story, of course, uh, this week because of his retirement announcement. He had hinted about retiring for a couple of years, uh, but I think most people felt it was just either player talk at the end of a season or agents angling for a new contract. Uh, so why did he finally quit this time, and do you think it will stick? Well, you know, that's, that's a big question. You know, he retires on a Sunday, and then, you know, less than 24 hours agent, his uh, hours later his agent is hinting, hinting at the possibility he, he you know, it might not stick. And so, geez, you know, are you retired? Are you not? And, of course, this comes on the heels of Jason Witten basic, basically coming out of the television booth. So, you know, are we to believe it? Are we to not? I mean, I, I mean, I just know based on the abuse and punishment he's taken over his nine years, over listening to him talk about that abuse this past year alone, you would tend to believe that he means it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, you know athletes, you know how much they love the game, you know how hard it is to break away that, you know, maybe, I mean, he's 29 years old. It's not like he's. 35, 36, 39, 40. I mean, he's 29 years old. He'll be 30 next month, I believe. And, you know, maybe not going through the rigors of a training camp and not, you know, after time, some time away, maybe, you know, he will miss it. And he will, after his body feels better, maybe he will have a, you know, change of heart. But I just know that 
the year before and this past year in his brain it was very hard for him to get up week to week to play and you could almost see it on the field as well okay karen you, you touched on the ailments he said four back surgeries arm surgery knee surgery ankle issues and concussions at this stage how much was his game slipping uh, well, I, I, I think a, a bit, quite a bit. Um, and, you know, he he didn't quite have the same type of explosion after the catch. Uh, I think you saw that this year. Um, you know, he didn't have that same kind of jump. And, you know, to the point where, you know, I don't think teams, teams didn't always double cover him. They thought single coverage was enough. And, you know, he was tweaked and banged up a little bit this year. And But in the past, if he was banged up a little bit, they, they would still put two and three guys on him. But you saw this year where they were content, teams were content to only put one guy on him. And, you know, the you know, coverage has changed. And when you when you're happy to say, well, we'll just stick one guy on him. I think that's a that's a huge difference. And again, you saw it in the coverage. You saw it when he'd catch a ball, and and guys would catch him or catch up to him after the catch. So uh, I think again, things, all these injuries, all you know, all the abuse he'd taken. Again, he's someone who, who you know didn't shy away from getting hit. All these things, I believe, caught up to him this past year. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. To shy away, I think he looked to get hit. He ran over people. Right. Um, he, he, Karen, I want to ask yeah, no, no go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, Clark. No question. Um, well, I want to ask you something about, um, you know, there were some rumors that the Patriots wanted to cut his pay this year and that they tried to trade him last year. To the best of your knowledge, how true were the pay cut rumors, and, and how much of a factor do you think those issues were in his retirement? The trade rumors were definitely true. Um, he was going to Detroit, and we know this because Gronk verified them last year. Uh, he said that it, it happened, and the only reason it didn't happen is because he voided it by saying uh, he wasn't going to go. He was going to retire last year if they if they tried to put that trade through. So that, he stopped the trade last year. And basically he said he wasn't going anywhere. Uh, the only quarterback he wanted to play for was Tom Brady. So he cut that trade right off the leg, uh, at the legs last year. So um, as for the question whether they tried to, t- to, you know, cut his pay this year, that's a, that's a good one. We don't know that for a fact. You, you might think they might have because, obviously, during the season, he wasn't the Gronk that everyone knew. He was during the playoffs. He was a difference maker during the playoffs. Did they try to do that, or maybe did Gronk want to raise? I mean, these are all questions we don't have answers to. I would suggest or say that if the Patriots did ask for a pay cut, he would, I mean, he wouldn't, you know, that would 
definitely necessitate him retiring, or that would definitely lean him in the direction he was going. If he asked for a raise and they said no, that would also uh, lean in the direction he's at right now. You did an interesting piece uh, in this week's Boston Herald, Karen, in which you rated the top ten Patriots of all time. You made my jaw hurt. My teeth were aching. Uh, I think you have, if I remember right, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you will, uh, but I think you had Gronk third uh, ahead of Hall of Famers Andre Tippett, Mike Haynes, and Ty Law. Uh, uh, and guess what, guess what, Ronnie? I got grief for him being three. <laughs> well, how do you put a guy oh, ahead of well, There's only about 330 Hall of Famers in history, and you've got three of them behind a guy who you know may or may not make the Hall of Fame. So uh, how would you sort of come to that decision? And it's interesting that you still took heat even at that. Well, some people wanted him, too. My goodness. <laughs> well, you got to – I weighed in – I weighed in it, – it's so hard comparing eras, which is really a, just a terrible thing to try to do. Right. But you, you have to weigh in championships. You have to weigh in impact. You have to weigh in – and there's no question he was such a difference-making player when he did play. And, you know, the other factor is, I mean, I saw every single game he played, and, and perhaps that over-influenced me mm-hmm. uh, in making and putting him where I did. You know, it's just tough when you see. It's like the same thing, same argument to be made with Brady. You know, obviously, I've covered every single game he's played. I've covered every single game that Gronkowski has played. So when you watch that all the time, when you see that up close and personal, when you see the difference they make, you know, it's hard. I didn't I didn't see Andre Tippett all the time. I've just seen him in from television or seeing him from clips it's hard to for me to totally picture the difference making players like that had made karen let me get this straight they wanted you to put gronkowski too so oh yeah oh you so i'll I'll send you all the all the hate mail i got on that (laughs) so let me let me get this right so you're going to have number one john hannah two gronkowski then brady three (laughs) No, yeah. Well, no, Ronnie. Ronnie wanted me to put Brady after John Hanna. Yeah. Oh, please! <laughs> Greatest guy who ever put at his position in history. Down. Uh, yeah, that's right. Him? And what about John Hanna? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> well, we're we're talking about like we're talking about a bunch of goats, you know. So it's like order the goats. <laughs> okay, is uh, is the tight end goat that's the first ballot Hall of Famer? Well, that's another good one. You know, see, but I think the tight end goat kind of gets when you're voting for him. You got to take a whole bunch of things into consideration, and I did a did something on this just like you did, Clark, on what's going to come into play. His longevity is gonna, perhaps will hurt him with Hall of Fame voters. His numbers by the time he comes up, are, you know, comparatively speaking, might hurt him as well as who he might come up against. Maybe Antonio Gates is there. When you look at the eye test, there's no question the man is a Hall of Famer. There's no question about it. 
he he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Will he get in on the first ballot? Some of these issues are going to come into play. Yeah, you're right. Um, hey, Karen, we got to hustle, but uh, thanks for the time. Really enjoyed it, as always, and good luck finding the next Gronk. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. They don't come around. You can't just pick them off a tree. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Karen. Thanks, Karen. All right. All right, guys. Bye-bye. That was Karen Gregian of the Boston Herald. Up next, it's Hall of Famer Tom Mack. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we told you we'd have Tom Mack, and guess what? He's here with us now. Uh, now, for those unfamiliar with him, Tom has had a long and productive career, not only in pro football, but in business. He was, of course, the second pick of the 1966 NFL Draft and played 13 seasons with the L.A. Rams, where he was named to 11 Pro Bowls eight all-pro teams, and played in 184 straight games, never missing one because of injury. True story. Furthermore, during his career, Rams won over 70% of their games, and they went to four conference championship games. Pretty nice, huh? Well, it gets better, because after his career, he was named to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But that's not all. After his retirement, he expanded a career as an engineer. He'd begun as a player, overseeing the start and completion of the Palos Verdes nuclear facility in California, and later, you know, later serving as a lobbyist in Washington for the Bechtel Corporation. Now, recently, Tom joined a number of pre-1993 NFL retirees to form a group called Fairness for Athletes in Retirement to fight for improved pensions for NFL players who retired prior to free agency in 1993, and he's here today to talk to us about it. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Well, Tom, the NFL uh, recently began an ad campaign called Football is Family. Now, if that's to be believed, why are the oldest serving members of the family, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, being so badly treated with their pensions and kind of being uh, excluded? How did this uh, come to pass? Well, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> you're right. How do you fit as a family if you're uh, excommunicated, so to speak? Um, <laughs> A little, little bit difficult, but uh, what we've done is, uh, as a group of players, uh, uh, and we started with three or four different kinds of groups, including uh, a bunch of wives that were uh, pretty strong about it, uh, and those wives ended up joining FAIR, and that's how I got involved with FAIR, uh, which is a, a Washington-based group, but uh, certainly has the right uh, background and the right uh, concept in terms of uh, not just making the public aware, but uh, also um, in some in some aspects making Congress aware so that uh, they can understand uh, down the road whether it makes a lot of sense to uh, maintain uh, the kind of relationship that uh, the government has with the NFL. <laughs> it's a good way to go. I like your thinking. Uh, it's interesting, and I, and I mentioned it because I think probably 99% of the sports fans in the country don't realize this, but as I understand it, a 10-year NBA veteran who retired after 1965 receives about $215,000 a year in pensions at age 62. A 10-year Major League Baseball player who retires after 1980 receives about $200,000 a year at 62. But a 10-year NFL veteran who retires, retired prior to 1993, receives an average of $43,560 at age 55, and that's pre-tax dollars. 
for their tax. So why does a business that makes $14 billion this coming year and has been going up about a billion a year in revenue, how do they justify this, and, and why hasn't this been rectified long ago? Is it just greed? Well, <laughs> no, I wouldn't, uh, I w- I wouldn't put it that way. It's uh, more of a... Uh, two groups of people pointing at each other and uh, saying, uh, who cares about the third group, which is the, the group, I guess, the uh, represent the pre-93 guys that are standing outside the fence. Uh, to the, to the uh, baseball uh, players' credit, uh, their union uh, acted first and actually a fairly long time ago. Um, relatively speaking, the uh, uh, Basketball, uh, uh, hockey, and uh, uh, came along uh, a little bit later, uh, and they've joined uh, with the uh, baseball players, where they're they're really giving the guys an adequate uh, pension. Why we kind of uh, stay at the end of the gate, so to speak, is probably uh, in the minds of uh, the people that negotiate and go back and forth. Um, we really don't have a seat at the table. Uh, you could say we're represented by the union, but uh, union, uh, quite famously, uh, going back to Gene Upshaw, uh, made a big deal of the fact that uh, he didn't uh, represent us. We didn't pay him, and we couldn't fire him. Uh, right. Rather than rather than take a uh, uh, kind of a, a little more adult approach to say, yeah, we represent all the players. Um, for whatever reason, they've chosen to. Uh, say, gee, we don't exist. Um, and I, I, I guess I tell you that uh, we feel uh, to a great extent that uh, the league uh, and the players as a result of our uh, maybe 15 years or 20 years worth of lobbying to get rid of free or to get free agency as opposed to uh, never being able to get free uh, once you were signed as a rookie, which was true until 1993, uh, really changed the game dramatically. Uh, and I think that I, 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 I'm not sitting there beating my chest or anybody's chest, uh, except that uh, the older players are the guys that made that happen, not the, the young kids that have uh, benefited from it. And uh, we couldn't be happier for the young kids uh, uh, getting their fair share. It's just a, an issue from our perspective that uh, we've got – at this point, a uh, little under 4,000 guys, uh, most of whom are probably not in the peak physical condition that uh, they once were, uh, some of them being in pretty bad shape, uh, along with some widows. So, uh, you know, I, we just feel that uh, it's about time that uh, people woke up and uh, looked at the pie and said, uh, you know, we don't need to slice all that much of this uh, big pie to take care of these guys. Um, and specifically uh, equalize their pension. Uh, I guess the the big thing I tell you vis-a-vis the pension is uh, the pension is just as most people uh, look at retirement. Uh, the pension's really just one vehicle. The newer players also have annuities. They have 401ks. Uh, they have basically uh, support on health and uh, and welfare insurance. And they uh, really have got a pretty darn good package. Uh, we're not after any of that package except trying to uh, get a fair shake on the pension, which uh, was all there was when we were uh, playing ourselves. 
So the new stuff is uh, good for them, and and Godspeed to them. Uh, our issue is just equalizing the pension so that uh, the guys can live out the rest of their lives with some dignity. Tom, so that, that 93 CBA that created free agency and effectively disenfranchised the retired players, uh, did you understand then what had been done, and did you try to push the NFLP at the time to do more for retired players? <laughs> it is a very, very difficult noodle to push uh, because the players uh, have always felt they're in a situation uh, where it's an uphill battle. I mean, maybe it's a little different now. Uh, I thought it was interesting. There, there are more and more uh, guys end up being free agents and get picked up by uh, new teams as uh, as you know life goes on, but. Uh, I don't think uh, the players themselves realized how important that was until they got it. Um, I was in a situation just on a personal basis uh, back in 1970, uh, I believe it was 1977, uh, my second last year, uh, I actually uh, had played out my option uh, and there was no collective bargaining agreement. So I thought, oh boy, uh, I got a shot at being a free agent. Um, and unfortunately, the the damn ship sailed a little bit soon, and um, Mr. Upshaw and uh, the league uh, basically made a handshake agreement. Uh, it took them a while to finish that um, CBA, but uh, they immediately uh, said anybody that was uh, making $100,000 or more in the league was subject to um, actually <laughs> what uh, I had an opportunity, I thought, to go to the Redskins. And uh, because it, I was just over $100,000 in salary, it was going to cost the Redskins supposedly two first draft choices uh, for a, basically a 12-year-old guard uh, or a 12-year playing guard uh, that wasn't going to last a whole hell of a long time. On top of that, George Allen, of course, if you knew George, he traded away his uh, draft choices a long time ago. So uh, <laughs> I went from thinking I was going to be a free agent to uh, finding out I was uh, caught in a situation where uh, the only thing I could do is stay with the Rams uh, and actually get a 10% raise. <laughs> long way from free agency. Wow. Yeah. Well, Tom, and we're speaking to Hall of Famer Tom Mack on the Talk of Fame Network. Tom, as you mentioned, it's a difficult noodle to push, as you said. But I guess my question is, um, whose attention are you trying to get now? Because it seems as if the NFL isn't really listening to you. The NFLPA doesn't want to be cooperative. Um, are you trying to get the attention of fans for uh, to get some kind of public opinion push or um, Congress? Or where do you go to get this resolved and, and get, find a remedy? Who's attention are you trying to get well actually uh, in the end the the people that are going to make the decisions are the uh, league owners and the uh, players union and the players association uh, to the extent that we can bring some uh, additional uh, visibility to the issue and uh, in in the longer term uh, some I guess what for lack of another word, uh, some kind of pressure uh, through uh, public opinion and congressional opinion uh, and putting them in a position to say, uh, you really can't uh, do this to everybody all the time. If you do, 
then maybe uh, we've erred on the side of uh, not helping out as much uh, uh, in terms of uh, tax exemption and whatnot as uh, we probably should down the road. Um, so the answer to your question is all of the above, uh, not any single group, but the, the two groups that are, uh, in my opinion, at least uh, critical to solving the problem uh, before everybody's dead is uh, the players and the uh, owners themselves. And I think, that's a, I think that's a doable thing uh, from the point of view of we're not talking, uh, you know, a king's ransom. When I sit there and I look at the paper and uh, I'm, I'm looking at an article from a year ago where they increased the, uh, the um, what do I want to call it, the, the salary cap, by uh, about $15 million, I think it was $12 million last year. Uh, but every year the salary cap uh, continues to go up. And um, to us, it looks like the way the players and the uh, owners have worked, uh, they're talking about kind of 50-50 on anything they make decisions on. And uh, we're looking to get you know things done and... Uh, would look to to have a modest amount of uh, that increase in in salary cap pension uh, without uh, uh, robbing the bank, so to speak. Hey Tom, we got to run, but thanks so much for the time. And you know what? Keep fighting the good fight. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen and uh, spread the word, so to speak. Thanks, Tom. You got it. Hope you get it. That was Hall of Famer Tom Mack. Up next, it's a two minute drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we're closing in on the end of our first hour, so Robert, you make the call. That's the two-minute warning. Thanks. That means it's a two-minute drill, and I have this week's question, so here we go, guys. What does Robert Gronkowski do next? As big a kid as he is, spent a lot of time at Disneyland. <laughs> I say conjure up his Stone Cold Steve Austin image and head to WWE. You know, Gronk says he saved all $54 million of his contract money. So how should he spend it? Slowly. Yeah, with, the, with all his family members living there, conservatively. Rob Gronkowski, Pete Stemkowski, Dave Dombrowski, or the Big Lebowski? The Stemmer, Pete Stemkowski. Stemmer! <laughs> Gronkowski had a persona that overshadows all others. President Donald Trump wants Robert Kraft at the White House celebration for the Patriots. What should he do? Go and keep repeating, innocent until proven guilty. Innocent until proven guilty. What he should do? Don't stop at a massa- for a massage on the way there. <laughs> Why won't the NFL put Robert Mueller on the Kraft case? There are better ways to spend $25 million. <laughs> he might find collusion. What? What's that? How soon before the Kraft video surfaces on TMZ? How soon before Kraft speaks at a press conference proclaiming his innocence? <laughs> As the old reverends used to say, how long? Not long. <laughs> Why is John Mara so hot over the Eli Manning loyalty talk? Because when you don't win, everyone thinks you have the wrong quarterback, and Mara happens to like his. <laughs> deflection, deflection, deflection. <laughs> because Ryan Pace is voted Executive of the Year, whom would you have chosen? J- 
John Dorsey, if for no other reason than he was right about Baker Mayfield. I'm not so sure that he's right about Baker Mayfield, but I nominate the same guys. He took a 1-31 and team, or whatever the heck they were, uh, to nearly 500, and he did it in the Bermuda Triangle of the NFL. Cleveland. Why did Bucks coach Bruce Arians qualify Gerald McCoy's future with the word if? Because everyone on the NFL's 27th-ranked defense is an if. <laughs> because if you make real money in the NFL age 31, everything about you is iffy. the end of our first hour, but don't go anywhere. We have Hall of Fame voter Vito Stellino, the all-NFL Syracuse University team, and another Hall of Fame debate coming up in the next 60 minutes. And that is not iffy, so stay where you are. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, as you know, April Fool's Day is coming up. It's next Monday, I'm pretty sure. Um, there's at least one person at this week's NFL owners' meetings who thinks it's here already, or at least that it was there in Phoenix, and that was Giants owner John Mara, who is the lone member of the competition committee to vote against a proposed and ridiculous, I think, change to the onside kick, one that stipulates you can try fourth and 15 <laughs> from your own 35 instead of the onside kick. You know what? If you make it, you keep the ball. If you don't, you don't. Now, it didn't pass. It was voted down, thankfully. But Mara's response to the proposal was, what are we, the Arena Football League? It's a good question, isn't it, Ron? Yeah, it is a good question. You know, it's just like uh, you talk about, uh, 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 you know, they're just overthinking the whole thing, you know. Uh, yeah, right. Everything's trying to turn this great game into a cartoon version of the game. You know, it's somehow... <laughs> Please, some moronic, you know, Gen Xer or whatever generation they are. You know, I mean, it's just, just look, it's been a great game. It's been a great game for nearly 100 years. Uh, can you fix some things? Sure you can. But, uh, you know, this whole idea of another way to give the offense the ball, give them another yeah, exactly. chance, even though you stopped them and you got it, you know, it didn't count. I mean, it's, right. it's gotten absurd. Say it's absurd. Well, anyway, as I said, it didn't pass. But one rule change that did allows teams to choose to enforce celebration penalties on the point after touchdown or the kickoff or the kickoff, which could be significant because it would turn extra points into 48-yard field goals and two-point conversions into fourth and for whatever. Anyway, you like this, Ron, because really it's a more severe penalty for personal fouls or demonstrations. Yeah, I mean, again, it's another thing. What's the point? What's the need? What, what, what's the yeah. what's the real need for this? You know, hell, half these guys can't make extra points from where they're kicking now. Oh, that's true. I think what they're trying to do is crack down on the celebrations. You know, the ones that the NFL Network, of course, spends three hours showing at night. Well, that's exactly yeah. I mean, exactly right. They own NFL Network, do they not? Tell them to stop showing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. We own Ron. I think this next commercial. I'm not sure we do or not, but anyway, we're going to go to it, and we're going to go to it right now. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network.
This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, as you mentioned, the NFL owners meetings were held this week in Phoenix, Arizona, at the Arizona Biltmore. I think that's my favorite venue, at least outside of Hawaii, um, for owners meetings. That's a great place. Uh, anyway, there was a lot of material that came out of there. Uh, not all of it substantive, but one it kind of got my curiosity was Chargers owner Dean Spanos, who I used to cover. I used to cover Alex Spanos, but Dean was there, um, saying that in their third year and nearing completion of a stadium, they'll share with the Rams. The Chargers are still looking for, guess what, a permanent headquarters in L.A. Uh, right now, they're located in Costa Mesa, Mesa, which is south of L.A. It's about, I would say, around 45 minutes an hour south of L.A. Yeah. Um, anyway, but Spanos says he feels, quote, a sense of urgency, unquote, to find a facility that he can call his own. So you know what? Maybe we can help. So, Goose, do you have a suggestion to help Dean find a permanent headquarters? Yes, there's a school in El Segundo that's available. That's where the Raiders dropped anchor when they played in L.A. And if Dean Spanos needs directions, he can call baseball Hall of Famer George Brett, who went to school there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Did he really? Sure well, no uh, how about you, Ron? You going the uh, Raiders route, too, here in El Segundo? <laughs> I think El Segundo is not a bad location, right close to the airport, so they can get out of town really quickly if things are going bad. <laughs> it's, you know, but isn't that typical of what you'd expect for the Chargers? You know, we've been there for, exactly. you know, we've been there forever, but we we don't we can't find an office in Los Angeles. <laughs> in your third year, Jesus <laughs> God hey, Almighty! I got a suggestion, Ron. How about San Diego? They never yeah. should have left there. Yeah. Well, there you go. There is that. There is that. <laughs> All rise, here comes the judge. Well, no, that's not the signal that Major League... This, though, really is, and hallelujah. Uh, It's not the signal either that Aaron Judge just went yard again, though he might before this broadcast is through, but it's our way of telling you that I'm about to present another candidate for Hall of Fame consideration. That's something I did this week on our website, that'd be talkoffamenetwork.com, and that candidate is none other than former Chicago Bears wide receiver... Ken Kavanaugh. Now, maybe some of you have heard of him. My guess is that most of you haven't, and that's okay, because he only had 162 catches in his career, or mm, roughly 19 more than Marvin Harrison had when he set the NFL single season record with 143. But that's not the point of this conversation. It's not the number of catches that I'm concerned about here. It's what Ken Kavanaugh did with them, and what he did was score, and score a lot. In fact, he had 50 touchdown catches, which works out to 31% of all his receptions, which, according to NFL historian John Turney of Pro Football Journal, and a guy that we feature regularly on this show, is the highest percentage of all wide receivers with over 150 career catches. Now, you guys remember when the Bears beat Washington 73 to nothing in the 1940 championship game, Rob? And I think you Never will forget it. Yeah, I thought you were covering that game. I was. Um, Mansky was great that day. <laughs> Yeah, well, surprisingly, there was only one touchdown pass in that game. 73 points, only one touchdown pass. Guess what? Ken Kavanaugh cut it. He scored in the Bears championship win a year later, too, before he went off to World War II, serving in the U.S. Army Air Forces for three years, where he flew 30 missions from England and won the Distinguished Flying Cross. Now, when he returned home, he resumed his career with the Bears, which many scored again in, yes, another league championship game. And a year later, 1947, he had his best season with 32 catches, a 25.6 yards a reception average in a league best, 13 touchdown catches. In his last year of play, which was 1950, he had a monster game 
with eight receptions for 177 yards and a touchdown. Now, when Ken Kavanaugh finished, he had a resume that looked like this. He was a three-time All-Pro. He was a three-time NFL champ. He twice led the league in touchdown catches, and he was a member of the 1940s All-Decade team. Plus, he set a Bears record for touchdown catches, 50, that still stands today. And he did all that despite losing what really should have been three of his best years to the armed forces. What's more, he averaged 22.5 yards per catch for his career, and still to this day owns the Bears record for single season and career average yards per catch. And those 13 touchdowns that he scored, remember that, in 1947? Well, no one on the Bears has eclipsed it, though Dick Gordon did tie it in 1970. Now, Ken stayed on in football, working into his 80s as an assistant coach and later a scout for the New York Giants, and he helped find friend of the show and tight end Mark Bavaro. Now, the Pro Football Hall of Fame hasn't recognized him because of the number of catches, but the Pro Football Researchers Association has, electing Ken Cavanaugh to the Hall of Very Good in 2009, and good for them. The researchers didn't get hung up on quantity. They looked at the quality of Ken Cavanaugh's catches, and fewer wide receivers have done more with less. And, guys, it's time we at least, at least heard his case for Canton. Yeah, Clark, the, the problem I see, as you touched on, is he, he finished a top ten in catches only twice in eight seasons. And Terrell Owens reminded us how much this committee, this committee loves quantity. How much were the Bears throwing the football in relation to other teams back then? Was it lack of catches or lack of opportunity? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I anticipated this question. I was doing some research on it last night. Um, in 1940, Chicago ran the ball 494 times for 1,818 yards and 16 touchdowns. Okay? That same year, Sid Luckman threw 105 passes, completing 48 for 941 yards and four <laughs> touchdowns. Now, a year later, Luckman had 68 completions for 1,100 yards with nine touchdowns. Okay, that's better. But his backs, they carried 489 times for 2,264 yards and 29 TDs. So, yes, yeah, Goose, they were run heavy. I mean, they were the monsters of the midway. Now, I will say... That changed by 1947 when Ken Kavanaugh had 13 scores because Luckman by then was throwing the ball a lot more and so were the Bears. Um, he had 24 touchdowns that year and 2,700 yards. But over half those TDs, Goose, were scored by Ken Kavanaugh. Well, you know, that, uh, this is an interesting uh, guy that you bring up uh, to me, Clark, because it so illustrates why you can't compare you know, from guys from 1940, 1950, any of these eras you know, with guys today or vice versa. You know, they, they weren't even playing the same game. So, you know, yeah, that's right. I mean, Ken, you know, we got players in a, in in a in a month as many catches as Ken Kavanaugh had in a season, almost. You know, yeah. so it's it's it does make it difficult. Uh, I think that's what the senior committee is all about, kind of sorting through this and trying to, you know, bring some balance to it. Uh, but I also think guys like this. Uh, I mean, if you just looked at his touchdown ratio, uh, I'd be interested to find out just how many players have a better touchdown to catch ratio than this guy. You know. Not many. Well, that's, and that's what you know. That's what Turney pointed out. For guys who have more than 150 receptions or 150 and more, nobody does. I mean, one of every three catches was a touchdown, and and yet today, you know, it, all we want is more. More is better, right? More is better. If you catch more balls than I, then you must be better. Um, you know, it's not the quality; it's the quantity. And and I think that's what this illustrates, at least. I think he's an interesting case. I mean, do I think he's got in the Hall of Fame? No. I think he's getting an audience? Probably not. Um, but uh, I will ask you guys a question, honestly. I mean, I heard from Dan Pompey today, a Hall of Fame voter, obviously, um, who's from Chicago, who covered the Bears, and who is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a writer. Um, he tweeted that Ken Kavanaugh is either the best wide receiver in Bears history or the second best. And, and you guys are on the senior subcommittee. Goose has, has 
You ever have you ever heard Ken Cavanaugh's name mentioned? And if not, why not? Yeah, I've been on the committee for 15 years. His name has never come up, and I believe there's a reason. There are more all-decade players not enshrined in Canton from the 1940 decade than there are enshrinees. Fifteen have busts, 18 do not. That's the most omissions of any decade. I believe the committee looked down in the 1940 decade as the war years. That right. competition was watered down with the excess of all these players going off to war. You know, heck, 19 players lost their lives in the war. Uh, the Cleveland Rams had to spend a season because it lacked players. The Eagles and Steelers combined a season to just have enough players to compete. I just think there's a sense that the NFL was a watered-down league during the 40s, and let's not reward these guys for any excellence on the field in that decade. So players like Al Wistert, Max Speedy, Ed Sprinkle, Buck Kilroy, and Kavanaugh had slid off into the abyss. All five probably should already have busts in Canton, and they are certainly worthy of that discussion, which so few of you had gotten from the 1940s. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Goose. And, and listen, listen. I, I, I like being an optimist. I really do. But I'm a realist here. As I said, I, I don't think he ever gets an audience with voters. And frankly, I do think that's an injustice. As you mentioned, with all those others, I mean, we've talked about a lot of those others. I mean, I think of Al Wister right off the top of my head, because uh, I wrote about him. And I couldn't believe he's not in the Hall of Fame. But you're right. I think the 40s got ignored. But it's just one of many uh, injustices. And it's, and it's why the process is so difficult and truly sometimes unfair. You know, really quick, I know we've got to run the clock, but a really quick thought based on what you two guys were just talking about. He missed three years because of World War II. If he had just hit his average of six touchdowns a season in those three years, He's got more touchdowns than Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, <laughs> well, greatest of all time. Uh, anyway, we're going to go, as you mentioned, we got to run. But up next, we got Rick's all-time greatest NFL team from Syracuse. And I wonder if Jim Brown made the cut. Mm, you're gonna... This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we're sad to announce that we lost another AFL great this week with the passing of former Raiders running back Clem Daniels, who died at the age of 83. Now, many of you may not remember him, but we certainly do. Uh, he was traded from the Dallas Texans in 1961 to Oakland and became the Raiders' first 1,000-yard back. But more than that, this guy was a dual threat, uh, someone who scored 30 touchdowns rushing, 24 receiving, and who, in one game versus the Jets, ran for 200 yards and scored three times, uh, including, by the way, a 74-yard run and a 56-yard catch. And I know what you say, okay, well, you know, it's not a big deal. It's not really a big deal. Well, you know, it was, and in fact, it is. In fact, it wasn't until Darren McFadden in 2010 that another Raider scored on a run and a catch of 50 or more yards in the same game. And, Ron, I know you know a lot about Clem Daniels. He really was a complete player. Yeah, no, he was. Al Davis loved Clem Daniels, and uh, and he should have. You know, he was the AFL's all-time leading rusher. He was uh, first uh, team selection on the all-time uh, AFL team. He was league MVP in 1963 when he averaged uh, over five yards a carry and rushed for over 1,000 yards. Uh, and, you know, he was the kind of guy who, who, you know, he could run around you, but he would prefer running over you. Uh, sort of fit right in with the whole uh, Raider thing. And uh, he did it quite a lot. And uh, I met him. I saw him play. Uh, I was a kid when he was playing, but I met him uh, later when I moved to Oakland. And he still looked like he would be happy to run over you and quite capable of doing it. <laughs> are happy to run over you, Rob. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. <laughs> hey, Goose, man, how do you remember Clem Daniels? Well, I remember he got cut by my Dallas Texans after one invisible season. I do remember that. <laughs> but what Other I also remember, what I also remember 
is, in addition to being such a powerful running back, he was a really good receiver back in the days. Running backs weren't primary targets. You know, one season he averaged 22 yards a catch with five touchdowns. In today's NFL, a running back is lucky to average eight yards a catch. Yeah, maybe you're right about that. Um, terrific player, and, and, and very sorry to hear of his passing. Um, good guy, it sounds like Ron, but a terrific player as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I mentioned Clem Daniels because, to me, he's, he's such a big part of the Raiders and AFL's history, and, and that's a subject that's sorely neglected today. Uh, in fact, we were reminded of that this week when one of Rob Gronkowski's fans tweeted out how remarkable his 15.1 yards per catch average was, and, and it is remarkable, but he compared it to random wide receivers like A.J. Green, Megatron, a few others, and, and he said, that's what makes Gronk the best ever, the best ever, to which our Rick Gossam replied, I guess he forgot about John Mackey's 15.8 yard average. Of course, John was a tight end too, and if you ask people who do pay attention to history, what's the platinum bar for others like Gronk? Yeah, yeah. Th- there were tight ends who caught passes before Mackey, but none frightened defenses like Mackey. He changed the position and changed the game. He made the tight end a downfield weapon, a threat on the seam route. He was Gronk before Gong Gronk. In some ways, he was better. You know, Gronk's longest catch, 76 yards. It was his only catch over 60 yards in his career. Mackey's longest catch, 86 yards. He had four receptions of 60 yards or more. You know, he plugged into the Baltimore lineup as a blocker back in an era when Anvil teams majored in the run, and he was an excellent blocker. But he also had 4-6 speed. And that allowed United and Colts to turn him loose downfield. And he, in my eyes, he remains a gold standard for the position. Yeah, me too. And, and Ron, the thing that gets me here is, and, and I'm not trying to knock Gronk. I'm not. Listen, um, uh, he plays for a team that I love to watch. He plays for a quarterback I love to watch. And, hey, you know what? He's a friend of the show. Um, but a month ago, <laughs> people were rushing to anoint Tony Gonzalez, the greatest tight end ever. Now it's Gronk. Who's next? I mean, I don't get this. Right. Well, you know, look, that, that's the world we live in. Uh this guy's the goat. That guy's the goat. The next guy's the goat. The next. There's more goats in the, in the NFL now than there are in the hills of Pakistan. I mean, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, it's just, and, and, and we ignore the past, like like none of these guys ever accomplished anything. And uh, yeah, you know, if and because you know, if it doesn't fit your argument, John Mackey had a, a better per catch average than than Gronk. Then we just, you know, a lot of people they just act like it didn't happen. You know. Yeah. Uh, one of my uh, one of my co-hosts and dear friends of, of over forty years keeps talking about a guy who won six championships when there's another guy who won seven. Well, that doesn't count, you know. I mean, it's just no matter where you turn, you you see it and you hear it, and it's it's it gets a little uh, irritating, frankly. After yeah, and tiresome, yeah. Um, but all I know is you can argue all day about who's the greatest tight end ever. But I know one thing, who is the greatest running back ever? Yeah. He happened to play for the Cleveland Browns. And you know what? Before that, he happened to play for Syracuse University. Of course, that was Jim Brown, who was on Rick Austin's all-NFL team from Syracuse that he profiled this week on our website, talkofamenetwork.com. And, Goose, I look at that backfield. That's quite the backfield the Orange rolled out, isn't it? Look at, look at the skill. Overall, you got Jim Brown, you got John Mackey at tight end, you got Marvin Harrison, Mark Monk at wide receiver, you got Floyd Little at halfback. Uh, that's five Hall of Famers. And you got uh, Donovan McNabb throwing the football to him. Not bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> Not bad. Quick question, though. How difficult was it for you to leave another Hall of Famer off that team? That's Larry Zonka. 
Not difficult at all. I picked a true team with a halfback and a fullback. My halfback was Floyd Little. My fullback was Jim Brown. I also left Jim Nance off because he played fullback. In 66, he was the AFL's MVP. I think he may have been an even tougher mission than uh, Zonka. Yeah, but he's so good, he's still doing TV for CBS. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ron, uh, one yes. thing you notice about this team, it's just what Goose is talking about. All the Hall of Famers they have on one side of the ball, and that right. side is offense, of course. I mean, there's six Hall of Famers on this team. And Goose went down the list, Brown, Floyd, Little, Marvin Harrison, Nart Monk, you, you name it. John Mackey, of course. Um, boy, that's, that's quite the group. I mean, talk about illustrious. Wow. Team is yeah. loaded. Yeah, well, yeah, they, Goose built that team like Bill Polian uh, built the Colts. Uh, defense, no thanks. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but, you know, defense wins championships. is why Syracuse never won one in football, but they certainly uh, uh, had some uh, great, great, great offensives to watch. And, and and they may, you know, with Dwight Freeney, they may get their first Hall of Famer here down the road. Right, um, right. He may actually be a Hall of Very Good, but that doesn't – you get 125 and a half sacks these days, they, put, they make a bust for you, you know, so. Uh, first ballot. But I was surprised. I, I will say when I looked at Goose's team, I was surprised at the rest of the names on that defense. You just, without really thinking about it, you just sort of uh, assume there's going to be some other, you know, super defensive players. And there are some good players, don't get me wrong, well, uh, but yeah, nothing like the Yeah, offense. there are good players. And one guy that I want to mention, Ron, is, is a guy you and I are familiar with. That's Joe Ehrman, who's the defensive yeah. tackle. And, and both of us remember him from our days in Baltimore when he's part of the Colts sack pack. Uh, and, Ron, that was a pretty decent group of pass rushers. And they played with Burt Jones, Lido Mitchell. Those guys were very successful. But you had Ehrman, Mike Barnes, Fred Cook, and John Dutton. Pretty right. good front four. Oh, for sure, yeah, you know, and uh, and it's interesting, Joe Ehrman, because he grew into becoming uh, quite a man. You know, his he did. His, his yep. brother Billy died of cancer in 1978, and Joe played a big role in building a Ronald McDonald House in Baltimore for families of uh, children with cancer who have to spend a long time in the hospital and have a place to stay. Then he studied for the ministry while he was playing. Ultimately, became a minister. He's done a lot of uh, inner city work with with kids. That's his big thing. And and I believe I don't know if he's still doing it, but for a long time he was also coaching football at Gilman. Uh, he was an assistant was, football yeah. coach there, and, uh, and but his whole thing is about teaching life values for for kids. So uh, he was an all American guy as well as a uh, all American football player. Hey Goose, looking at this team, where were your hardest decisions? No, there really weren't any hard decisions. You know, I, I thought Rob Burnett was a very good defensive end for a long time. First in Cleveland, then Baltimore. Went to a Pro Bowl, collected 73 sacks, played 14 seasons. But there was no room in end with a pair of past NFL sack champions, Dwight Freeney and Chandler Jones. Uh, how about quarterback? I'm just guessing McNabb was a pretty easy choice, right? Uh, who was next? Was it McPherson? Clark, you can't even go there with McPherson. It's Syracuse's all-time NFL team, and McPherson oh, you're never right. took a oh, snap. You're right. yeah. He doesn't qualify. Yeah. The, the only other Syracuse quarterback who ever threw a pass in the NFL is Ryan Nassib, who has appeared yeah. in five games, thrown ten passes. That's your two deep gentlemen, McNabb <laughs> and Mr. Nassib. Wow. So you're telling me McNabb won by default? <laughs> That's why there are no hard decisions on this team. It's a very thin <laughs> yeah. bench. I, I'm curious how Ben Schwartzwalder won all those games with his bench. Let me guess. You and I could quarterback this team because all we'd have to do is hand the ball off to the backs, right? <laughs> That's right. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> so, Ron, yes. where do you think this team would finish in today's NFL? With that backfield, with the wide receivers, Monk and Harrison, uh, who's going to beat them? Well, uh, a lot of teams because uh, they'd score a lot of points. There's no doubt about that. But, but with that defense, they'd be like the European Union, wide open borders. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, let me let me throw one more thing. The special teams. Your oh, yeah. kicker right. is Gary Anderson, who's what third all time, fourth all time. Right. And my this is my favorite. My special teams ace, David Tyree, who yeah. went to a Pro Bowl for special teams. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was a great get because you got a familiar name in there that people know for one play and basically say, no, no, he's more than one play. And they remember for the Super Bowl, and that maybe the greatest catch of all time, the Super Bowl. But um, that was a that was great. And Gary Anderson, yeah, he's going to score you a lot of points. Um, do you think? By the way, do you guys think? Gary Anderson ever makes it to the Pro Football Hall of Fame because one voter said to me he's the one guy he'd support, the next kicker he'd support, other than Vinatieri. I mean, I would. I'd be surprised. Be surprised, think, you know. I think Vinatieri may even have a more difficult time than people think. Although I think he belongs. Jeez, oh, I hope not. Um, I, and I and Ron, did you mention him? Uh, Freeney Goose. What, what happens to Freeney when his candidacy comes up here? Do you think eventually he gets into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? I give you Jason Taylor. These guys are all first ballot Hall of Famers. If you <laughs> if you tackle the quarterback in your life, you're a first ballot Hall of Famer. What do you say, Ron? Freeney. I mean, I would think he's going to have some difficulties, but like Goose says, you got 125 sacks. Uh, the guys in that room love sacks. Um, but you know what? If they do, they're going to have to love uh, Robert Mathis too, and, that, and that, yeah, that, that's right. That may be harder and, and, for some of them. And Leslie O'Neill has 132 and a half sacks, as many as Lawrence Taylor. Can't get a sniff. No love. Um, anyway, well, thanks, guys. And I'm looking at our calendar, Goose, and I see that next week we're going to have, was it, Auburn's All-NFL team. So, uh, Cam Newton fans, check in for that. We, however, we're going to check out to a break. When we return, we'll hear from Hall of Fame voter Vito Stellino. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. The first time I went to an NFL owners meeting was March 1983, when our next guest and I were working at the Baltimore Sun. Now, Vito Salino was at the Morning Sun, and I was at the Evening Sun. And Vito's not only Hall of Fame voter today, he's a Hall of Fame writer who has been covering the NFL since the 1970s when he was there for Steelers four Super Bowls and who today continues at, well, where else? VitoStellino.com. And Vito, what a long, strange trip it's been. I mean, I remember back in 83, and I think it was at Palm Springs. Um, those were the days when a handful of us would sit around a table at an owner's meeting and talk to the coaches. And I also remember at that one, this is a morning breakfast, I was seated at the same table as Joe Gibbs and Chuck Knoll. And you know what? I kept my mouth shut and just listened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not too many Gibbses and Knolls around these days. In fact, one of the uh, unsolved mysteries of the league is why isn't the coaching better these days? Why are there no longer any legends except for Belichick? Is it because of the uh, changing nature of the game where coaches can't keep teams together or they just not, we don't have great coaches or what? But it's a, it's a strange thing. It is a strange thing. And Chuck Noel, you covered, was there for years and never went anywhere. As I said, I, I just love listening to those guys. But um, it, it's changed a lot since then. And I know you followed what happened this week at the owners' meeting in Phoenix. So um, before we get there, and I, we do want to ask you about a, a lot of what happened this week, one question. People are jumping all over us and overboard this week, eager to label Rob Gronkowski the greatest tight end who ever played in the NFL. Now, you've covered this league for nearly 50 years. So who's your greatest tight end to ever play in the NFL? 
Uh, it's not Gronkowski. Uh, that, that, that's for sure. The guy only made four Pro Bowls. He's a fantastic example of how today's players get hyped so much, and uh, and, and the players who played before ESPN uh, uh, get forgotten. Uh, the real the, the real way to look at tight ends is actually it's two different positions. So there's not really a goat for a tight end. You have the Gronkowskis and Mackies who could. Uh, uh, block and catch, and then you have the uh, Gonzalez and the Winslow and Witten types who are mostly just wide receivers uh, playing tight end. So I, uh, I, I wouldn't label one guy as, as, the, as the greatest, but certainly Gronkowski has not established himself as being any better than John Mackey uh, or several other tight ends. But, but this is the era we live in. Uh, you know, it's interesting, in the 1960s, when baseball would put together its, its all-time team, people like Tris Speaker, Honus Wagner, uh, Rogers Hornsby, and of course, you know, Ruth and Garrick, you know, what would all be on it, even though they hadn't played in years. But that was before we have today's uh, cable TV, social media, uh, nonstop coverage, and so today's players become better than they really were, you know. I mean, uh, when you're talking about the greatest of all time, you're talking about Jim Brown, Dick Butkus, Brady, uh, you know, LT. That's a pretty rare group, and you shouldn't just throw that designation around, and that's what they're doing with uh, Gronkowski. Vito, I maintain that they should just get rid of the tight end label and just put the Gronkowskis and all these pass-catching tight ends into a receiver group with the wideouts. That make any sense? I'm fine with that. Although Gronkowski did block a little bit more than some of those other guys did, you know. But uh, uh, but yeah, they you know the the position John Mackey played almost doesn't exist anymore, you know, because they're, they're uh, so much into in being pass catchers. But uh, I mean, you know, this guy he only played 132 games. Uh, Tony Baselli, who, who played in '91. Is having trouble, you know, getting in. He he didn't play long enough. I mean, uh, Gronkowski had a couple seasons. He only played six, seven games, uh, slowed by injuries. Uh, you know, he's a great player when he was healthy, but availability is certainly also a key in judging players. So, but we have this rush, you know, rush to judgment. And it's just the world we live in. It's not going to change. Where are you at on Ron Kramer? Hey, he was uh, he was great. I mean, I saw him play. I mean, it's uh, he's certainly right up there with uh, you know with with Mackey. And I say he's been completely forgotten. You know, it, uh But yeah, no, he he should be in the conversation too. Yeah, he he makes the 50th anniversary team, and he's never even been discussed for Canton. And you talk about the goat. I mean, as far as blocking tight end, Ron Kramer was the goat. Uh, yeah, no, no question. No, I mean, as I say, it's how can a guy be on a 50th anniversary team and never even be in the room? It's, it's just crazy. <laughs> it must be the name Kramer. <laughs> yeah, him and Jerry Kramer both. That's right. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it is crazy. Uh, well, you know, Vito, one last question about this tight end Gronk situation, and I think it's right to your earlier point about how quickly people forget. Uh, and you'll remember this guy. Uh, when Ben Coates was, uh, with the Patriots. He made the All-Pro team five times. He went to five Pro Bowls. He made the All-Decade team. And when he retired, 
He had the fourth most catches of any tight end in history. Gronkowski has done less of those things. He's 12th uh, in catches amongst tight ends, and there's four active tight ends with more catches uh, still playing. Yet Ben Coates has disappeared from the face of the earth. Uh, You know, at the time, the only three guys ahead of him were all Hall of Fame tight ends, and nobody's marching up to your house or my house or Goose's house or Clark's house and saying, how come this guy isn't in the Hall of Fame? So... Uh, how and why do you think that happens? Is it just simply TV? I mean, he played when there was TV, too. but uh. Well, it's not just TV. Granted, he was on TV. It's the 24-7, uh, you know, cable coverage, uh, uh, social media, you know, all, all the hype that just didn't exist uh, back in those days. Yeah, you could argue Gronkowski isn't even the best. Patriot tight end, you know. Uh, and right. Hey, what about Russ Francis? You know. You're right. I saw all three of them, and you're right. You could you could have a pretty spirited argument amongst uh, players to play with those guys over which one of them was the best. That's for sure. Yeah, so to, you know, I mean, Gronkowski, you can have him in the conversation, but but just to say, like, it's automatic slam dunk, it's all over, he, he's got to be on the first ballot, you know. And we, and in today's environment, he probably will be on the first ballot because he's Gronk, you know. But it, uh, <laughs> you know, it's one of my pet gripes now is that we got to put these guys in of the first ballot, you know. Right. It's, uh, the first ballot should be for the Walter Paytons, the Jim Browns, those kind of guys, you know, right. so. Well, Gusta, the three of us, you know, Vito, the three of us have talked about this a number of times, and here's my theory on first ballot Hall of Famers. If when you're in the room and you're presenting the guy and you've got to stand up and say more than his name, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. I agree entirely. I remember Cooper Rowell standing up and saying, ladies and gentlemen, Walter Payton, they sat back down again. You know, that's right. first ballot Hall of Famer. Once you guys start making an argument for him, you know, then uh, not first ballot, and, and what we're causing is is the other guys who will make it the first year. Then they keep slipping back, and and, and, and to me, we're almost torturing them. Keep bringing them back to uh, uh, you know Canton to wait for the knock on the door, and it doesn't come. I mean, if I was some of these guys, I just wouldn't show up anymore. You know, after three right. or four. This. I'm just saying, hey, if I make it, give me a call, you know? <laughs> well, why subject yourself to that, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's a good point. We had, we had Bill Pullian on the show saying the exact same thing, you know. He just goes, I, I wouldn't show up anymore. I mean, these guys keep coming back again and again. It's really unfair to them. I, I, I agree, you know, totally. I mean, they're just using them. And then I heard this year they, they paid the losers to show up at that honors thing. You know? They did. I don't, I don't even know if that's true, but it, it, it's... Uh, it's just ridiculous, but uh, you know, well, I guess we're all dinosaurs, and and we're too logical, and and this is the age of hype, you know. So what can you do? No, you guess. I look in the mirror every day, and I know. Are you kidding me? <laughs> hey, hey, Vito, I got one more Hall of Fame question for you, and and it involves another Patriots, the team's owner, Bob Kraft, and as you know. He's been charged with solicitation for prostitution in your very state uh, with apparently a video involved. My question to you is, how in your mind do you think it affects his Hall of Fame chances, if it affects them at all? I think it'll, it'll, he'll be in the Hall of Fame, but I think this will delay it. You know, I think once... Uh you know, Jerry Jones and uh, Bolin uh, and DeBarlow were in. I think he was the next logical guy. And in fact, you, to me, you could argue uh, him over, uh, you know, over Bolin as far as the record. But certainly, 
uh, he's not going to make it this year, and I don't even know that he'd want to make it this year. You know, <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, right. I think now it's it's four or five years down the road uh, after this, you know, kind of starts to fade, and plus the way he's handling it, it's just a it's a new story every day. You know, I mean, one day he wants a jury, uh, a judge trial, next day he wants a jury trial. Uh, it, it just keeps going, you know, uh, we're, gonna, we're not going to take that plea bargain. We're going to go to court. Are they actually going to go to court on a misdemeanor charge? You know, right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's just crazy, you know. And then he waits, what, six weeks to issue an apology? Well, if he's not guilty, I think, what is he apologizing for to start with, you know? But, yeah, it's, 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 it's just embarrassing. And make it even worse, it's the day of the AFC championship game. He's in Florida. <laughs> what if there's been a snowstorm and didn't even get to the game? You know, <laughs> I mean, don't don't but, most owners come in for a championship game and night for the game? Well, yeah, you'd think that they would, but uh, you know, of course, if there was a snowstorm and he couldn't go, you just would have gone back, got another massage, or whatever. Vito, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't snow in Florida, so you're good there. <laughs> No, hey, Vito, in Kansas City, right? He's circling yeah. Kansas City. I know, um, Vito. Does Tony Vaselli ever make the Hall of Fame? That's a good question. I uh, I, I I just don't know because every year you're having two or three first ballot guys come up, and you know what is the thirteenth, fourteenth year now? Uh, you know, I and now uh, I thought when he was the only tackle uh, that, that he would make it uh, last year. Instead, they went with Maui. He was you know a great player, but he, but he's not a tackle. You know. Uh, uh, I just don't get it. I mean, there there are a lot of guys who played fewer than 91 games that are in the Hall of Fame. It's like there's a different standard for him than these other guys who had shorter careers for whatever reason. I mean, uh, uh, what what got me uh, pushing Baselli was Terrell Davis. He only had three good seasons. Right. At least Baselli had five when he was arguably the best uh, left tackle in the league, you know. And yet, uh, you know, I don't know whether it's Jacksonville, a small market, they've never won anything, or, you know, and now they've forgotten who Baselli was, or, you know. And and, and you have people that, that played with him saying, hey, he was the best. Uh, uh, one guy took his, his number because he respected him, and he's in the Hall of Fame, and Baselli's not. I'm just, it's... It's puzzling, but I don't think it's a slam dunk anymore. It, uh, at least until it looks now like you know. Well, they'll put in Fanica because he has a lot more Pro Bowls. That's a you know, longer career. Right. So all those guys might have to make it first, and then he could run out of time. It's uh, it's going to be a rush, I think, to the uh, to get him in before the twenty years. Yeah, they, uh, I think maybe next year, Vito. I think they, his best chance is next year because you look at 2021, uh, that's going to be tough. <laughs> so I, think I know, but, uh, you know, uh, the Fanica thing, is he going to get in instead of Baselli? I don't know. You no, know? I don't know either. I don't know either, but I guess we'll have to stay tuned. Anyway, Vito, always good to hear from you. Thanks so much for the time and for the insight. Appreciate it. Talking to you. Thanks, Vito. Thanks, Vito. Thanks, Vito. That was Hall of Fame voter and Hall of Fame member. Vito Stolino. Up next, it's a... This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we're not quite finished because we have one more piece of business left. That's the two-minute warning. That's right, it's the two-minute drill, and let's get started. Dolphins coach Brian Flores says, quote, every team is rebuilding, unquote. Does that include New England? 
without Rob Gronkowski. It includes New England. Yeah, obviously. They got holes like everyone else. Which new head coach wins the most games this year? Freddie Kitchens with the NFC North favorite Cleveland Browns. Oh, you silly boy. You silly, silly boy. Bruce Arians, the quarterback whisperer. And which loses the most? The man whose fate is in the hands of Ryan Fitzmagic. Brian Flores. Wow. Uh, Zach Taylor, we are about to see just how smart Marvin Lewis really was. <laughs> Let's get to the chase, guys. Kyler Murray, who, choose, who drafts it? The Oakland A's first round 2018 MLB draft. <laughs> I say the, the New York Jets, after what she immediately signs with Major League Baseball. <laughs> smart man. John Gruden says he cried for three days after the Khalil Mack trade. Why should we believe him? He felt bad that Reggie McKenzie was going to take a fall for his trade. Were his lips moving? If they were, no reason to believe it. <laughs> Mike Tomlin said, quote, We can't do this with hostages. We need volunteers, unquote. Was he talking about Antonio Brown or the Talk of Fame Network? No, he was hinting at Pittsburgh's draft strategy. Go all in on Tennessee players. <laughs> I think he was talking about AB, LB, and pretty soon maybe MT. <laughs> Why is everyone but Tomlin and Juju Smith-Schuster piling on Ben Roethlisberger? Because like Antonio Brown before him, Roethlisberger is going to make Juju Smith a very wealthy man. Because <laughs> Ben Roethlisberger has figured out if I go on the radio and rip everybody else, nobody looks at me and his teammates don't like it. That's smart. Why haven't heard from Jerry Jones lately, Goose? If you had a $250 million yacht the size of a football field, would you spend your time on land talking to reporters? <laughs> Wow, and Goose has probably been on that boat. Uh, like Bob Kraft, he has finally learned silence is golden, especially when you haven't been to the Super Bowl in 22 years. Arthur Blank is selling limited shares of the Falcons for $300 million. Are we interested? Call me when Bob Kraft starts selling shares to the Patriots. We are interested, but we are limited by our checkbook. That's the end of the game. You're correct, sir. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website. That'd be talkoffamenetwork.com or find us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, look for us next week at this time and on this station. Thanks for station. Thanks.